Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. This is this is great. No problem. No problem. Uh, well, let me do the intro. Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found and the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And today, uh, my guest is Michelle Morby, also known as Morbid Fascination, or did you change it? <laughs> no, that, that's, that's still your Instagram? That's still my Instagram handle. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if you had changed it or if it would stay the same or what. But yeah. The, yeah. That's just the handle. <laughs> I feel I just got out of the tub. Like, I, 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 well, now I just disclose some things to my listeners. <laughs> I took a hot bath and then a shower. And so I'm all squeaky clean, but I'm also like really relaxed. So this is going to be perfect. It's going to be great. I love it. I love it. So are you, where, where are you situated? You're, are you in LA? No, I'm in San Francisco. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out how I ended up following you on Instagram, but I'm imagining, do you know Peter? Peter Max Lawrence? It is Peter Max Lawrence connection. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So did you go to, what's the, uh, what's the school over there called? So Peter and I met at the San Francisco Art Institute okay. and um, Laura, uh, oh, Laura okay. Ansel, who you also interviewed, also went to school there as well. Mm -hmm. And so we all became friends at SFAI, as in like most of my West Coast existence stems mm -hmm. from that nexus of art school. And you, uh, so that implies that you're not originally from California? No, I'm not originally from California. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, um, but I was actually born in Argentina. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Um, my parents were expats living down there in the 70s, and then they came back up to Cambridge, Mass. Um, and I lived there, and I lived in New York, and then high school was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, oh, okay. yeah. High school in Pittsburgh. What's Pittsburgh like? Pittsburgh <laughs> is the secret city. I know everyone's like, Pittsburgh. I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you the secrets of Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh is an amazing art city, uh, first and foremost, because it's affordable. So you uh -huh. can get magnificent studio space. So that's awesome. I it's just dropped my mouse for everybody wondering <laughs> what that noise was. <laughs> um, it has uh, the only installation art museum in the world, the Mattress Factory, which is really fantastic. Um, it's also home to the Warhol Museum, okay. which is love them or hate them. It's a magnificent space to go to. I don't have the energy to hate them. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I was would like. You, why would you hate them? What, what, oh, what people, people hate? you know, art school kids got to hate Yeah. <laughs> on something. Like, so like. It's like Picasso. <laughs> it's like Picasso. It's like Jeff Koons. It's like whatever. You know, people, yeah. you know, people like to pile on whomever. Um, but yes, Pittsburgh has an incredible art scene um, and it always has. And so going there in high school was really fantastic because the Carnegie Museum has an incredible permanent collection, but they also host um, the International, which is the second largest and oldest international art show next to the Venice Biennale. It's only six months younger than the Venice Biennale, mm. but it's the only American Biennale. Oh. Nobody knows about it. How old is that then? You said, I, I, I just missed how old it is. 
I don't, I couldn't tell you offhand, but it's okay. only six months younger than the Venice Biennale. Well, I'm just trying to figure out. I, I guess the Venice Venice Biennale has probably been around for a while then. If that's the it, if that's yeah. the yardstick. That's the yardstick. <laughs> yeah. So Andrew Carnegie uh, was who really instigated bringing uh, an international art show to Pittsburgh, so Americans could see the latest in European art. And so because he was based in Pittsburgh, he brought it to Pittsburgh. And so Pittsburgh has always had this really rich tradition of uh, supporting of the arts and artists being there. There's there's always been a huge jazz scene mm -hmm. there. And so it's more than just the Rust Belt. There's a lot more than just steel uh, to Pittsburgh. So when this is all over, I highly recommend going and spending some time in Pittsburgh because it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I actually haven't traveled enough throughout the United States. I'm, though I did, when I did the uh, cross country trip from like uh, Miami over here to Los Angeles, that mm -hmm. was the first time I like I touched more states there than I think I had been to uh, at that point. Right, so it's pretty crazy. Like uh, there's a there's just so much here. So it's always a good idea to ask and be like, what is it like? Because I also feel like. Like, for example, I was thinking about, it's really funny on the show, um, uh, The Good Place, where like they're constantly, there's a character that's from Jacksonville and all the jokes are like about how shitty Jacksonville is. <laughs> but I'm sure that gets tedious if you're from Jacksonville, right? Sure, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because yeah, I think Pittsburgh and Cleveland I think the joke was always comparing it to like America's armpit, which, you know, like what? Yeah, um, but yeah, <laughs> but, um, but I had never known about Pittsburgh uh, before I moved there. And I certainly wasn't thrilled when I first moved there because mm. I was living in New York city at the time. So I felt mm. good. I was being banished <laughs> culturally. How old were you? I was 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. So I was just, I was just starting high school. Uh, but I quickly learned that I was mistaken and I mm. fell deeply and madly in love with Pittsburgh. And what so. kind of kid were you? Were you like a raver? Were you like a... No, <laughs> I was definitely, uh, I wore black all four years of high school. Okay. Um, out of convenience, really, I wasn't like a hardcore goth. I never knew how to do the makeup. I could never get the hair right. So I was like, I'm just going to wear black. Uh -huh. Um, and I wore Doc Martens and everyone thought it was really creepy, which I <laughs> enjoyed. <laughs> and I spent most of my free time in the library. I was really tight with the librarian, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of, I just kind of slinked around the library a lot and smoked clove cigarettes and read a lot of milieu. You were fucking goth. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you smoke clothes, you're not adjacent. <laughs> very much so, very much so. But I was never into the cure of the Smiths. But yes, definitely. What, 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 what were you? What did I listen to? Yeah. Like Bauhaus no. and stuff like that? No, no. I what no. I was like really kind of nerdy. I listen to a lot of classical. Um, okay. That's like uber goth. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I just, there was no other goths in my school. So it wasn't like we were like a pack. Yeah, it was yeah. just, I was this interloper and everyone thought, 
because all the kids I went to high school with, they just thought that this was what a New Yorker was. Like they all wore black. And I was like, it's true, we do. <laughs> like my soul. Um, so that's hilarious. Yeah. I remember yeah. meeting people from uh, from LA when I before I moved here and just being like, oh, they're so like their fashion being something about it that felt like it was really LA. And now that I'm here, I don't know what that is. Like <laughs> I've become just desensitized to that. Like, like that's just the aesthetic. Whereas like, I was like, ooh, this is exotic. You know, there was definitely something that like read LA about the hipness. It was hip in a different way. Uh, this was when yeah. I was living in Bethesda. So it's like a different kind of world. A lot of like wannabe lawyers and stuff. Uh, so you grew, up in, you grew up in Bethesda and then went to... No, I grew up in Miami. I, in I, Miami. I, in, in, in Italy. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then... Where uh, in Italy? In Rome. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I'm a big Romanista. That but... is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. So, 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 what are you doing here if you're Italian? Why didn't you go to No, Italy? I'm actually not Italian, but I, oh. I think that there's a lot of motivation. It, it, it's even, I mean, maybe before COVID to like move to the US because I don't think the economy is doing that, was, was doing that great. I think maybe they're treating people better over there when they quarantine, but it's crazy mm -hmm. out here. Yeah. So, what, so do you have a topic today that you wanted to talk about? Um. Yeah, I did. I feel like I was kind of thinking about sort of the two camps that my art exists in and what I'm interested in exploring. Um, and what sort of what really flourished in art school and I sort of carried that through um, and has led to some really interesting experiences was I went into SFAI originally as photo mm. and felt really sort of blunted by that program and so I switched into new genres which is like a free-for-all so that's performance installation ephemera you know all the really big ideas mm. um but you can't sell anything but it's just really fun to do uh, so I got really into it. I get really mad at schools that teach that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, charge, I, I, charge an arm. I mean I I understand the value of it in like in terms of art but I get so mad it's so pretentious to be teaching that shit to people that are paying like thousands of thousands of dollars like and and this is somebody that decided not to do it because that's what I would have been like I would have been just like you <laughs> well, <laughs> getting an MFA well you can yeah, keep talking. I, no, I feel like, you know, the irresponsibility of art school, I, the most egregious thing I think art school is besides the price tag is the inability to teach artists that they are a small company yeah. and they need to run themselves like a small company and they need to take a business course on how to organize yourself and move your product, move your units successfully never talked about like money was just like no we don't talk about it I'm like is everybody independently wealthy what's going on like this is not normal the world is you know I very shadowy in the art world a lot of artists are really precious about like about their artist persona so so much so that they refuse to use the word brand to like you know and I and I get that but at the same time like dude it's almost more gauche 
<laughs> to be precious about branding <laughs> than it is to be like, oh no. Like it's just, it, it's sometimes, it just, to me, I'm sorry, guys. To me, it just reads as pretension. <laughs> but, I hear you. I mean, it's it's the same thing, right? But yeah. they just don't want to use that word. And I understand that, you know, part of art is the seduction, is this dream arena that you're working in. You're, that's part of it. You're selling a dream. But that's marketing, man. Yeah. That's the dark yeah. arts. That's like classic. That's what it is. Did so you say dark it's, <laughs> okay. Okay. if they had just given us more skill set we wouldn't yeah. be so much in debt overall but it was really fun to study um and the biggest the, the biggest thing that I did that really kind of caught fire at school was um I was in an installation class and we were you know looking at different things in installation and I just got really taken by happenings in the 60s I was like oh, that seems mm. so great I love the word it's really interesting experiential time-based piece and so I like that and I wanted to work with something that was really um unusual and so I've always been a wannabe scientist so mm -hmm. I wanted to work with pheromones and sort of oh. how that how people respond to that. And so I had read all this research and there's this one particular pheromone called the icebreaker. And that's the type of pheromone that when you interact with it at a party, you're like, you and me are going to make the babies now. And it works for gay or queer. It's the same reaction. And is it, is, what, okay, let's rewind a little bit. Yeah. because. I have like a very basic understanding of what a pheromone is. And so like, can you, can you bottle that shit or do you just have to have someone create it? Well, here's the great, here's the fascinating thing about pheromones. So you can't actually consciously smell a pheromone when someone's mm -hmm. like, Oh, I really love their pheromones. I'm like, you might, but you're, but you love their body odor, but they're yeah. both red. They both, uh, are molecules that are registered in the nasal cavity. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing about pheromones. Pheromones is about communication. And again, with queer or straight, you're just trying to find your mate. And the reason why you find somebody so attractive is because their immune system is the most dissimilar to yours oh. to ensure that you would have a healthy baby. Because the body doesn't know that you're just having sex recreationally or you actually want to have a baby. They're just like, here's the desire, go for it. And so I thought, you know, that's, that's what's happening in art school. People are hooking up all the time. What if we weren't so concerned about whether or not they wear the right clothing or they listen to the right music? What if we could just cut through all that red tape and just get down to the chemistry? Because everyone's like, I just really want chemistry. So I was like, let's just do the chemistry. So I decided to- Is that this what party. a woman is telling me when she says she doesn't feel chemistry? She just, like, she's not smelling the pheromones? <laughs> the pheromones aren't working. It's just like, uh, her body's like, nah, that's not okay. it. That's right. not it. Um, so I decided to create this happening and I invited the whole school. I had flyers all over the place. And I was like, oh, art school students, they'll totally get into it. So I was like, listen, come to this party. I will have free beer. There's going to be a DJ. All I want you to do is 
don't shower, don't wear perfume, don't wear deodorant, come au natural, because that's what we want. And so when people got there, I had silk screened the molecular structure of the pheromone on a t-shirt and gave everybody a fresh t-shirt. Mm. And so once I got everybody inside, I cranked up the heat to like 85, like a Bikram yoga class. And I was like, I just want you to sweat, just sweat it out, whatever you want to do, dance in the corner, jumping jacks, whatever. For the next five hours, you're just going to sweat and drink beer and listen to the DJ. And so people had a great time. And then at the end of the night, I collected all the t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And then for the next two weeks afterwards, during lunch hour, I would host these smelling salons. <laughs> and so what you had to do was sit Only down. art students would go to that. <laughs> right? Only art students, right? So you had like 60 t-shirts to smell of like oh. serious body odor. Oh. And the only way I could get people to do it, was well, I was like, listen, the odds are this. You've got 60 t-shirts. I'm not going to tell you if it's a guy or a girl. You just got to smell number five and tell me, I want you to rate the fuckability of this t-shirt. Now, when (laughs) you smell it, I want you to close your eyes and imagine you're in bed and you roll over and the pillow smells like this body. Uh Does it turn you on? And everyone's like, oh, (laughs) oh, where are those t-shirts at? I was like, guaranteed, you're going to find at least one person you want in Uh this group. I didn't have the data for that. That was a total lie. That's the dark arts, right? <laughs> had to get them like, yes, you will find your person. So I had everybody rate the t-shirts. And ha- and the majority of the people who came to the party wanted to then sample the t-shirts. Mm. But I was also able to get people who didn't attend the party because they were a little freaked out yeah. to smell and rate the t-shirts. And so at the end of the two weeks, I revealed the identities of all the numbers of the t-shirts so then people could find each other if they wanted to hunt that person down and people came up to me and they were like I found number five and oh my god like wow I would never (laughs) have slept with them because I was too busy you know worrying about their chucks or not and wow that was amazing so that was cool um and my professor was like I can't believe you pulled it off that was so weird I can't believe you got people to sniff other people. Like you're such a strange kid. And I was like, no, no, this is going to be a thing. Trust me. And he's like, you're not going to put it online. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to put it online. Somebody's going to copy it. And I just, I want it to be like its own special thing. Flash forward two years later, this woman in Brooklyn starts throwing pheromone parties. Mm. It's a corporate company now. Mm. (laughs) And she makes lots of money. Yeah, that's gross. (laughs) It's so gross. It's such a disappointment. I was like, oh, and so I emailed her and I was like, funny how your company is exactly like the art project that I did. Mm. She's like, really? I had no idea. Meanwhile, I've already Googled her ass. We had friends in common on Facebook. And Uh. one of the people who was in my pheromone party was (laughs) friends with hers in Brooklyn. Uh. You know, c'est la vie. Uh, artists yeah that's uh that seems like a common thing it is parallel thinking quote unquote (laughs) i mean if it's good enough to steal it's good enough right you know and that's what you got to take from it because you know now that it's all corporatized it's safe it's easy and you know when i I think with a corporate slant it's more gross (laughs) yes 
I think, I mean, it's just, it's just different. Like there's no risk involved. Like there's no like. Art risk. school's supposed to be smelly. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so, I don't know. Did anyone hook up on the night of the party? Yes. Okay. They did. Totally. They did. I, I mean, I think I gave, I think I silk screened like almost a hundred t-shirts, uh-huh. but 40 people just never returned the t-shirt. Like they wanted oh, yeah, the t-shirt. Yeah. And I was like, I knew that was going to happen. I was like, yeah, I probably would have stolen a t-shirt too. That's cool. Like yeah. whatever. It's, that's art school for you. Um, but no, yeah. people definitely hooked up. Nice. Nice. Did you feel like uh, uh, like some sort of weird uh, madam <laughs> Bring, <laughs> bringing people together? <laughs> Dark arts. <laughs> you know, I just felt like it felt like I was doing a really good, like it was like my of service deed. I was like, children, <laughs> children, don't get don't get wrapped up in the in the outer. Get into the chemistry. <laughs> that was my that was my idea behind you, it. And then like. Did you start a trend where people just started to smell each other's armpits before, like, as they met? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had, but, you know, um, smelling people has always been part of that social dance. You know, I had yeah. read um, somewhere that the romantics, you know, in the 1800s, uh, especially a lot of male poets, would tuck a handkerchief in their armpit for weeks on end and just have it there. And so when their groupies, because they had groupies back then, because poets were the rock stars, they would bestow this like super stinky handkerchief, this lucky woman or lad. Um, she just made me imagine the silliest like <laughs> visual image. I won't even describe it, but based on what you were saying, like, the rock star poet with groupies, that's brilliant. Right. It's like a, a sketch. Oh yeah, it's a definite F SNL sketch, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> but like from when it was good, <laughs> like the Mike Myers era. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> like the Dana Carvey. Like Sprockets. <laughs> yeah, like Sprockets when Chris Farley was there, when what's his name was still alive before his wife shot him and shot herself. I forget his name right now. Oh yes, um, Hartman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. not kevin yeah. hartman <laughs> no 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 what's his first name fuck phil phil hartman phil hartman mm -hmm. yeah. yeah he was great i'm troy mcclure anyway <laughs> enough for the reference section of this podcast <laughs> right look look in the footnotes young kids if you don't know what we're talking about <laughs> yeah so so what what else so you had the piece about the pheromones so how does that like tie into the broader topic so I really like having a shared experience as the focal point of an art piece. Mm -hmm. I really like that as the experiential being the art. Um, so and like so, the, what, what I would classify as the cult leader. Of, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> of, sure. of the art world. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, you know, because it is, it stems from the idea of installation where installation art isn't complete until you have a body inside the space. The body activates mm. the space. And so for me, it's the participation. It's when someone says yes to whatever I'm proposing them to partake in, the action mm. of join me in doing this group thing. And what you experience from it 
is the art. You get to participate of it. It will be unique to you. It's going to serve your tastes and purposes differently than everybody else. But we mm -hmm. are gonna have a common experience as well as your individual takeaway from it. So, um, so, so it's not like you're not an artist that works exclusively in smells. You're an artist that works more, more in the shared experience element of that. It's the shared Although, experience of that. That would be a pretty interesting art practice. <laughs> it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, there's there's no money in it, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that. Well, no, just because I just because I said that I'm I'm against like expensive art schools teaching <laughs> or have like I I'm still I think there is a value to art that is like you know and I do think that there is a rigorous study that can go into it and that helps it so I just have a problem with the institution. You know, like, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And no, I, it is. It is definitely. And I think that they can be very dogmatic, in certain senses. And a lot of the people that teach there are from like a generation ago, right? <laughs> so it's like, by you know, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's a different like. Um, it's an ever-changing landscape. It's a moving target. It's really and hard the to. All fuck the girls. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> it's oh my just God, that's all a whole, shady. That's it's a whole other shady. <laughs> It's just shady. Art schools it and like it, like as much as I appreciate what I get out of what I've gotten out of art school and out of learning it, it like, like and of study. And I think that the study of art in an academic space is a useful thing. I think ultimately institutionally, it's just disgusting. You know, <laughs> like it's exploitative in so many levels. They're like, to some degree, like most people, maybe it's more less transparent if what they're teaching you is, uh, or maybe it's more transparent if what they're teaching you is to make art that isn't gonna sell. You know what I mean? Because that at least they're upfront because to a large, it's not like getting a fucking law degree, <laughs> you know? No, it's it's so <laughs> not. It's, there's so much, um, God, what is it? Again, it's like this very nebulous, almost promise, but not quite, you know? Cause I think a lot of kids go into arts, roll up into art school and think they're gonna be Matthew Barney. They yeah. really think that that's gonna happen for them. And I'm like, did you even study who he is like how he like he yeah. was already golden before he even got to Yale so like sorry Charlie it's yeah. not gonna happen that way for you um but yeah I do feel like there it, it is I mean academia writ large I mean when I when I was going to a traditional liberal arts school there was so much of the hero worship of girls being totally enthralled by male professors and being taken under their wing, whether or not it was just for an evening or they ended up, you know, getting married after somebody graduated, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, the imbalance of power is, it's still around and it's very disappointing. Um, but art school, yeah, could really use a tune-up. Yeah. To say the least, really could, uh, because I do feel like we are not, in the age of patrons, we no longer have patrons. And, you know, galleries are having a hard time. The problem is, is like, there's so many people making art right now, more than they've ever been in the history of man. So every, you know how like in the nineties, everyone was a graphic designer. Yeah. Now everyone's an, everyone's a performance artist now. Everybody's like an installation multimedia artist, baker, 
influencer, you know, and I was like, great. You do Stop you. describing the guests of the show. <laughs> I, I aspire to have multiple, multiple careers. You know, I stand on the sidelines and being like, how do you do that? Okay. Number yeah. one, be influencer, influencer of what the fuck ever. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Next. Um, but I do think it's, you know, part of it again is like, you are your own best hype machine. If you don't yeah. care about your work, if you don't think your work is amazing and you have something to say, no one else is going to care about it. So you have to be comfortable with that. And you also have to be afraid not to make a lot of crap work that's never going to see the light of day. And that's just part yeah. of it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, but I, I think, think it's just editing. I mean, not everything I make is great. In fact, large majority of what I make is garbage <laughs> and no one sees it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, definitely. I mean, I actually know really I'm kind of a genius. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm overselling it though. Like definitely it's not everything that I make is crap. I don't hate everything. I don't think everything is good enough to show. There are things that I like elements of that like, I'm like, you know, it's iter iterative in terms of like what I end up showing. You know, not everything is ready. It's like, it's like anything, you know, you don't show your first draft of anything. No, definitely not. But it's all valuable. It's all yeah. leading to something, you know, you, you have to, to go through these various, if you, yeah. Lots of rough drafts, lots of iterations, lots of spinning it on its head, leaving it alone, trying something else. Um, but yeah, like for, so like, you know, trying to figure out the hustle, trying to figure out what you're doing. So I have like two Instagram accounts. One is like, straight up stuff that I can sell. And the other is my latest interactive project and it's called In Shelter Zoo. And I started it in March of last year when we were all sheltering in place. And it, the basic premise was, wow, we're all sort of stuck inside, like we're in a zoo, like we're animals trapped in a cage. And I was like, okay, well, and it's actually for our preservation. And that's, you know, a lot of animals are extinct unless they're in a zoo. So this is for our you know, ability to live beyond this. Mm -hmm. So how can I make that interesting? How can I connect with people? So I was like, well, what do people do? You know, they're at home, they're trying to figure out something crafty to do. Everybody's making sourdough starter. So everyone's like kind of feeling crafty. Okay, let's do something crafty. What are people doing already? They're already taking selfies. So something crafty and selfie. Oh, let's make a mask because we're mm -hmm. already making them anyway. Um, so you were making masks, right? Huh? Is this a new project or I, did so you? This is you, a project that I started in in March and it's been going. It's been you, ongoing. You, in your own practice, you've been making masks before, right? Or or is that my imagination? More co more costumes than masks. Okay. Per se. Um, but I was like, you know, let's just make a very basic animal mask out of whatever materials you have. And I made a little informational sort of instructional video. Um, and two of my friends had made this platform to sort of highlight artists solutions of what to do during lockdown. And that sort of, they invited me to figure out a project. And so I made this project um, and then it got put onto Juxtapose Magazine's Instagram TV account. And it got like 84,000 hits. Nice. And I was so like, a lot of people, 
Did, so what was what you were inviting people to do make their own stuff to make their own masks? Mm -hmm. did, did that yeah. blow up? Did that make mean that there were more people interacting with the project itself? More people, more people interacted with it. Um, but I think it's it was one of those things where, and I, I'm still sort of revamping it of trying to. I think a lot of people are very self-conscious still about their ability to make something. Mm. It needs to be perfect. And I'm like, oh no, man, it can be whatever. Like there's no, no mask will be re refused. Basically all animals will be accepted in the zoo. So yeah. you, you make it, you shoot it, you send it to me. I put it in the zoo and it's there for forever and ever. Uh -huh. um, and it was really just about reaching out through Instagram and being like, hey, does anybody want to play with me? Because yeah. I'm bored in the house board. You must be bored. You probably have some office supplies, some scissors, some paper, got a Sharpie. We're in business. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, so it was I watched, really great. I've watched this one unfold, I think, a little bit. I, I didn't yeah. realize it. I, I think I... I think I'm only following your account and you showed a little bit of, a, of it on your account. So I only caught a little bit. I didn't realize it had gotten so big. That's amazing. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. no, it's still, it's still growing. Um, and I would like to grow it some more, um, but it's still, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's however people want to make a mask. They can make it, you know, I've had people make paper mache masks. I've had people do like assemblage masks, like whatever they want. It's, it's really interesting. And so I, I'm thrilled because, you know, it's great to have a way to be social and creative while we're all, all stuck at home. We're mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. having this universal experience for better or for worse. So let's try to take advantage of it and make something interesting, if not connections. And so what was really exciting was the first person who participated was this woman in Russia. She had seen oh. it on um, Juxtapose and she was like, this is cool. I want to do this. And um, it was great. And so then after she did it, we were off to the races. So that's that cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely relate. Part of the reason I do the show is just because otherwise, like I was having a hard time keeping up with like going to see my friends regularly. And I just wanted to talk to artists on a regular because they're fucking weird. The, the I, I recently went to or in uh, in on Halloween was the last time that I <clears throat> got out to like an actual opening and it was you know in a parking lot with like street installation is like setups right people were just putting things out in the space and uh and then everybody was in costume and I like when I got there after work I was like oh man, I'm just so glad to be around weirdos, you know, like it's that feeling of like, and they're everywhere. They're, there's like, you know, you you can find somebody in the middle of fucking nowhere that like, like sometimes the show gets downloaded in places and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, some random country that like, I only know conceptually. And now I'm like, because they've someone listened to it, I know where it is on a map a little bit. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Estonia, I see you. Thank you. I don't think that one, but uh, I'm trying to think of like, what's an obscure one? I can't remember right now. I think the most recent one that I was like, oh, cool, Moldova. Someone from Moldova's downloading, uh, and then I invited someone from Turkey. So I'm just, I kind of, I'm down to like have uh, people from Turkey start downloading when I when I put that episode out. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to Constantinople, which I know is not called. Man, it's a, it's a rad. Turkey's Turkey's amazing. Yeah. And so yeah, it's amazing. So it, 
it's a really nice like it's really nice to be able to like interact with people even across like language barriers or maybe maybe in your case they were able to sort of understand english right but to sort of just have like you know while while everybody's being vilified by the media <laughs> you know still be like oh people in iran are listening to this oh they, they're not that different you know <laughs> so yeah definitely yeah so, no, i love that i think that we need you know now more than ever art is the solve it's the bomb that we all need so we're all yeah. hopefully reading more books listening to more music reading more poetry taking a drawing class online listening to more podcasts you know it really is serving us because we can't like you say just be around other people so we have to sublimate yeah. with art and art is a really good stand-in um so giving people something to do um in order to connect with other people i think is fantastic um I'm a huge supporter of TikTok. I think TikTok has been yeah. incredible for my sanity because I follow so many different types of people on TikTok. I mean, I follow lawyers and nurses and then, you know, a whole bunch of weirdos who just have, you know, a bone to pick with society or life in general or want to give tips. And I'm like, yeah, I love a good tip. What do you got for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we're all just trying to reach out and i and i support that because uh, i mm-hmm. people are fascinating and i want to know what people are thinking about and what they're struggling with because we're all struggling yeah. it's hard right now well can you tell me a little bit more about the happenings because that's a little bit of a dark i mean or like a blind spot for me because i remember a little yeah. bit of like the 60s and all that I mean, I remember it like I was there. No, I, I I remember what I learned about it, but I think a refresher would do me some good. Like, I mean, what I took from my art history class and, and what we were talking about happenings, you know, a lot of it was people coming together and possibly taking the recreational something, something, obviously. Um, and, you know, it was like very rustic, uh, installation where you know they have projections and bands playing I mean it it was like a basic what we would call like a basic warehouse party now yeah yeah. back then it was like oh my god you've got like four projections at once and (laughs) and there's a band and there's a pool what and we're like that's like Tuesday in LA what are you like wow wow but it Um, started there so it's important but it started there Yeah. yeah and so um again like having having that idea of curating an experience um, is what I'm really interested in. And I think on a smaller scale, if you can throw a really good dinner party, Mm -hmm. I think that's amazing because, you know, you're trying to create this atmosphere in your home. So, you know, you're picking out music, you're picking out, you know, lighting, you're picking out who's going to come, what you're going to feed them, what you're going to give them to drink. And the conversations are sort of the art piece that come out of a really good dinner party. Because when there's a really good dinner party, the conversation is on fire. Everyone is fascinating and interesting and funny and strange. And you get to peel off into those little corners and have those little mini discourses with two to three people. And then you rotate and you find other people. And then for the next couple of weeks, you talk about, you talked to that guy too? Did he tell you about this octopus? Yeah, me too. Oh my God, what a weirdo. Um, I love those. (laughs) I love those. Um, 
And so I've also been a huge uh, fan of throwing dinner parties and that's been really hard. Obviously mm-hmm. now we can't do it. Um, but that idea of intentionally trying to think about what do I want somebody to have coming out of this experience? What do I, what do I want to have them bring with them? Is it something that they've learned? Is it a connection? Do they get to be seen and heard because they're doing something interesting? Um, and I like that ability to give that to somebody, to organize that for, for people. Because I mean, I think artists naturally can do that. Um, but I think you know everybody can benefit from having something that is sort of more tailored to something unique because it's always one of those things where it's almost impossible to think now because everyone has a phone with re- recording. But remember back in the 80s and 90s, it was like either you were there or you weren't there. You just yeah. had to be there. And I love that idea of like, you just had to be there, man. It's never gonna happen the same way twice, so. Do you banish phones for that reason or? <laughs> no, 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 not at all, no. Is that extreme like that? No, no, absolutely not. No, because I mean, I do think that um pictures you know they're just taking a second of what's happening um but i mean i photographed the pheromone party and i actually had a friend um shoot super eight of it too which was really fun because i i also screened that at the reveal of everyone's identity and the numbers and we slowed it down so it looks like some weird 60s experiment of people like milling around all wearing these t-shirts and like slowly <laughs> dancing and there's no sound. And they're like, what is this? <laughs> um, but I do think that, you know, I, I've always really loved science. And so having these happenings incorporate science is another way that I get to be a mad scientist. So another piece that I did that was a happening inspirational piece was um, I wanted to work with mirror neurons. So basically what a mirror neuron does is that's our ability to watch something being done in front of us to learn how to do it. Oh, Um, so neurons would be in your brain, I guess? So neurons are in your brain. And so this is a special type of mirror neuron that helps you have the ability to learn by watching. Mm -hmm. And it was And what's interesting is it's a relatively new discovery in humans. They first discovered it in some sort of ape, maybe a bonobo. Don't quote me because I'm not a scientist. Um, But it's it's only it's a a good one to throw out there as like a you know, (laughs) I think it might be the funniest name for. (laughs) Is it? It's a monkey or an ape? I think monkeys have tails. Apes have no tails. Possibly. Okay. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so you didn't commit either way. You just said possibly. Can <laughs> it's I call a biologist? Let's do this <laughs> that's a, I, you, you are good at parties. That's the best answer anyone can, can get. Can I get a lifeline with a biologist here? Um, so they only really discovered, they only confirmed rather mirror neurons uh, were in humans in 1996 which is fascinating by Italian scientists, actually. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. So I wanted to, again, work with this very microscopic element in our body and make that the focal point of my art. So what I did was 
Um, again, I threw a party because that's kind of my milieu. And what I did was, um, have you watched any of the David Attenborough's documentaries on animals? Yeah, I mean, I'm aware of them, yeah. You're aware of it. So it's he, the same shit as a Morgan Friedman documentary, just with a, David If you've watched any mutual <laughs> of Omaha, you know, wild, <laughs> it's the same old thing. It's awesome. It's like majestic animals doing majestic things, right? The British voice telling you about nature. Right. It's so soothing. So he had this one um, show where it was all these exotic birds doing their mating dances. Mm, that's hot. And I, I highly recommend going on YouTube and watching this afterwards. I bet you get magnificent. The moves are magnificent. And so what I did was, I did this with a friend of mine, and we made a video of splicing the mating rituals of these birds dancing. Uh-huh. And then there was this great public access dance show in Detroit from the 70s, whose name, unfortunately, I cannot recall at this moment. But we found footage online and we spliced it in between those two things. And then we put it on a projector and then we played music. And the whole idea was, you're gonna have a mirror neuron effect if you are dancing to a music and then you're also watching people dance. Mm-hmm you start emulating their movements and people also started emulating the movements of the birds dancing their mating ritual. Mm -hmm. So people's dance totally changed throughout, you know, the two hours that we had this dance party. And that was sort of- Question that just came into my head and it's fair if you don't have the answer because you're not a biologist, but so those mating rituals are like basically getting the birds horny, right? Oh yeah, no, they're, they're definitely, you know, the ritual is like, I'm a hot bird. Get it, get it, man. Look at me, check out my plumage. Check out like me shaking my tail feather, literally. That's like, that's, there's some wop, there's some bird wop there. Oh my God, like the confidence (laughs) of these mating rituals of these birds is, is humbling. I'm like, God. Yeah, I've never seen game like that before. If I've only never tried I that saw. hard, <laughs> maybe I should. Really? Seriously, we don't try that hard. No, we don't. Um, but it was it was truly magnificent. It's it's magnificent. It's really yeah amazing, amazing stuff. So that was fun again because there's something really freeing about a dance floor. Mm-hmm. I love watching people totally groove especially at a wedding. So that's why you you and Laura get along. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Laura King, who was on the show. Yeah. Laura's Laura's work is amazing. But I remember when she first, she first moved to Colorado and she's like, God, Michelle, my, my program's really small. I gotta, I gotta meet other people. And, you know, Colorado's like, really sporty Uh (laughs) I don't know know if I'm like gonna be a sporty person I was like I got you I got you what you're gonna do is you're gonna find a Zumba class Uh... those are gonna be your people and she was like really (laughs) like trust me it's it's so much fun 
she's thriving. She, I, she, I see her doing Zumba. So she's, I mean, yeah, she's, a, she's like a registered, she could teach Zumba now. Like she's oh. like a Zumba master. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Well, she's she a did. dance master in general. She makes I mean, dance moves. If, dance if, you moves. Thought, if you thought people were coming up with funny dance moves in the eighties, like the sprinkler and shit like that, she's got, she's like on a whole nother level. <laughs> she is definitely her her own drum and it's it's incredible and uh, her instagram uh, i'll plug it it's laura on sale at laura on sale on instagram is very fun <laughs> it's very fun and she has it also on tiktok and her tiktok dance videos are on point for yeah. sure she's she's fearless in her dance <laughs> and i love that and i love that about dance is the ability it gives people this ability to have courage for three minutes in a way that they might not have in their day-to-day -day lives and that's yeah incredible i love that i support that wholeheartedly yeah. I am that's a courage i don't have necessarily to just dance by myself on camera for three minutes and post on the internet but i respect it i have kind of seen a little bit like it is funny uh just to see like how bad some of the people that make popular dance videos are at dancing or how like awkward they look. And it's just cause they're attractive, <laughs> but you're like, like, you're not graceful at all. What is going on? You know, but it's still like, but it's like big breasts and they're jiggling. <laughs> Tells you about my mating, Instagram consumption. Mating ritual, mating ritual right mating there, ritual. you know? <laughs> <laughs> shake those assets show them what you got <laughs> so that's, go ahead i was gonna say you know i think that's what's so what's so great about dance too is that i think there's for me what i love watching is the not so perfect dancer mm -hmm. if it's all so perfect yeah. I'm like, where's, where's the spontaneity? I need a little, I need a little bit of grit. I need a little bit. Of no, 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 I'm talking about like being sexy when you're trying to be sexy, as opposed to being awkward when you're trying to be sexy. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. Listen, there's a reason J-Lo is J-Lo. You yes. know, like, do not, you cannot resist It has that little to power. do with dancing. It's more about her butt, but. I mean, it's about everything. I mean, it's her skin, it's her movement, it's her voice, it's. It's everything. It's a whole. Oh, wow! A whole I feel like thing. we've tapped into a huge fandom here. Are you a huge J Lo fan? <laughs> no, I I respect J Lo immensely. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been a fan since she was a fly girl. Okay. Shout out to <laughs> her original place and time. You know, I mean, In Living Color was seminal in, in me growing <laughs> up. I watched it. I watched it so much. I used to and watch it too. It I wanted good. to be a fly girl for really? sure. Oh God, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm terrible at hip hop. I'm like incredibly bad at hip hop and I've been taking hip hop classes for years and you know what? I don't mind at all. I don't mind that I absolutely suck at hip hop <laughs> because it doesn't matter because the classes that I was taking, the teacher was like, it doesn't matter how precise it is. It, it matters that you're moving and you're having yeah. a good time. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I will never be on the MTV Music Awards as a dance up singer, like backup dancer, but that's a, that's a that's a teacher that knows how to fill his uh, hip hop class. 
She sure did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it was like, it's just the joy of movement, you know, was really what she was yeah. selling. And you know, that's, that's fantastic. And to give people permission again, give people mission to have that joy in the movement. Yeah, definitely. So important. Um, and yeah, there is something. But now that you say that I'm totally picturing you dancing like the stereotypical white girl to hip hop. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty rough. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have I don't have that rhythm, but what I do have that was really fun. It's like, you know how like I'm sure you've had one class, two classes that you took in college and you're like, when am I ever gonna use this knowledge? Maybe I'll drop it someday at a dinner party or some such, mm -hmm. but maybe not. So when I was at Bard before I left, um, I took flamenco classes nice. and I loved it. I loved flamenco and I got really into it. Um, and coincidentally, I had had uh, exchange students in high school from Spain. Mm -hmm. And so flash forward, you know, they're all getting married and I would go to their weddings. And the first wedding that I went to, you know, it was a huge sped and dancing is obviously important. And so they had hired a flamenco band And so they start playing flamenco music and I'm like running to the dance floor and they were like, oh no, Michelle, not for you. It, you, no, you gotta know. And I was like, oh, but I do. And they're like, <laughs> that's so sweet, but like, you're gonna be so lost and it, you're gonna piss people off. Like, this is like our culture. Like, please don't, please don't. And I was like, you know, I got this. Watch, I got this. Trust me, I'm not gonna let you down. I will not embarrass you because I was the only American out of 400 people at this wedding. I was yeah. like, I will not let you down. Put me in, coach. Put me in. So I I was in it and I was totally mixing it up. And all the grandmothers were like circling me, being like, Who taught you this? Who told you this? Who told you you could do it like this? How is that possible? And I'm like, I just had a really good teacher. And they're like, She's okay. <laughs> so I was like, yes, I am in it with the grandmas. Nice, nice. <laughs> They said yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any glory, any glory stories of dancing, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where like, yes. where people were like rejoicing at like, oh, he's not incompetent. White <laughs> <laughs> boy, can the bar was so low, and you passed it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a casual hispanic towards white people racism <laughs> oh gosh i mean you know <laughs> i mean <laughs> i love to think about how you know when we we're all in grade school i'm sure you had this experience when you were in grade school where you had that like unit in pe where you had to learn folk dance oh no i did dancing all yeah. that jazz No? Wait, no. Where did you do, where did you have to learn how to square dance? I had to learn how to square dance like in- In like, Pittsburgh? No. No, 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 no. This is like <laughs> middle school, lower school. But okay. there was like a whole like unit. There was like three months of like learning how to square dance. Has And that ever come in handy? Actually, yes, it has. Okay. <laughs> All right. So well, I mean, at clearly, least- <laughs> Clearly I seek out a dance floor whenever possible. <laughs> And you're a fucking Swiss army knife of different styles. <laughs> I try to be, man. I try to be prepared. You know, I, I just, I just go in 
two feet first. Like, so how come I've it. never seen you post a dance video on Instagram? Is it all on TikTok? No, I don't have any dance videos on TikTok. Okay, all right. Um, and I guess what I would have to do is I would have to I'd have to create the space of a dance floor for me because I mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable just like dancing in front of the camera like performance performing in front of a camera is not my milieu I like it live well I think that there's like a little bit of an interesting overlap in our practices because from what it sounds like you also like to just kind of set up a thing set up I mean my installation work is similar in that it's like I set up things and I like to watch people react to them right but mine are a lot less about the people interacting with each other more than people would interacting with me through the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, but I, but I do sort of like, I do relate to that, like sort of like sitting back and being like, I'm a genius. They're responding. <laughs> They're all so great. <laughs> they like it. They like me. <laughs> dance little puppet, dance, dance. If they talk to me, they wouldn't find me weird at all. <laughs> they would they still like think me. I'm a genius. They really like me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> except I don't do the party thing, but I guess I host on the podcast. So it's a similar overlap. It's my, I guess I have a similar idea, but the, the interaction I'm interested in is the one that I'm having with the person rather than like, the one that they're having with each other because I'm just more of a narcissist probably but I think that like yeah I think that I definitely relate to that sense of like hmm I'm, I got I got to these people <laughs> you know they, they, mm-hmm. there's so, something something they, I, they've been affected by what I did and they may not even like they don't even need to see me <laughs> to <know. laughs> as you lurk behind the curtain. <laughs> they see the real me. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, podcasts are, are fantastic because they give the opportunity to have that space to explore the ideas that you're, that the host is interested in. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes it fascinating. And what I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast is that you know you're you're interviewing all these really interesting people and they're such disparate topics like yeah. so vastly different um but they're equally interesting i find them equally fascinating thank god <laughs> i no, was worried I mean, no i do i really do i mean i you know i totally nerded out on your last guest talking about flags. I was like, flags? Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about flags. <laughs> I got into it too, actually. She was laughing because I was like, uh, I was nerding out on it. I was like, hey, I think you're really like, I think this is one that I could go down the rabbit hole on. And I just, I was, uh, I still haven't posted the, the images of the flags that she sent me, but uh, when I post them, they're amazing. They're beautiful. Like it's, it's actually something that I'm like, oh and she 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 holds them all up the same way like with her behind it you know (laughs) hold on let me see like this and all you see is her legs and her hands (laughs) it's just also a really fun way to look at the flag you know like that's such a personal way it's like hiding behind it (laughs) yeah no that's great that's wonderful no it's it was it was one of those wonderful things where i was like hey i actually have a 
I have a friend in the flag business. Yeah, yeah. Tag you guys all on yeah. his Instagram. Yeah, I saw that. Cool. So, so what is Brian? Brian is a vexillologist. He is. Well, he is an urban planner. An urban planner. Yeah, that's what I He's saw. An urban planner. Um, but he is also just a a really big enthusiast of San Francisco history. Oh. Okay. Um, and so he had looked up the original history um, and imagery of the San Francisco flag, which was a phoenix rising out of the rubble. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, yeah, what, what happened to that flag? Let's like bring it back. It's great. You know, it's nice to, I didn't even know that cities had city flags. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's so charming. And so he really- That goes back to like when cities were countries. Yeah. They've been doing that shit like, for a while. Like the nation- republics. Yeah, the nation yeah. flag is the new one. That we, but it's the ubiquitous, it's the one that we always think of. But yeah, man, that shit, it's like, that's the thing that was so fun about that topic. It was like, I didn't even realize how much flags matter <laughs> until like, I was like, oh yeah. Then I started thinking, like when we started talking about the, uh, the, the Capitol thing, which was happening right as we were recording. I did, when she said that people were storming the Capitol, it just washed over me. And I was just like, oh really? And I like, I didn't really even try to visualize it until afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay. And we won't get into what I think of that, but. <laughs> no, of course, yeah. I mean, we know that's so like a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm too exhausted. I, I don't want to get into that shit. No, but. I can't. But flags, essential, yeah. important symbols of civilization, of identity yeah. and uh, pride and communication. Yeah, it's a, flags are cool. Yeah, I'm pro yeah. flag. It's very I, might have to make, I might have to design one for the show then. You yeah. should. Yeah. I love, I love that. I mean, I feel like I'm always trying to think about not flags, but this idea of like, what is emblematic and what would I want? You know, like, I love the fact that bands have swag, like they have yeah. concert t-shirts and they have these symbols, like who doesn't love the yeah. Rolling Stones? mouth sticking out the tongue video like that's just a great image on a t-shirt or you know lots of different band t-shirts are just incredible and I'm like god I really gotta start designing t-shirts but like for art like an art band t-shirt like if mm. I was a band what would my t-shirt look like like what is yeah. that again it's you know the the dark arts happening again <laughs> yeah you also worked with t-shirts before and you've you've had them become mementos right for of an event too so yeah definitely yeah so like for instance for like the the pheromone party i silk screened all these t-shirts with the icebreaker um, molecular structure on it but then i also wanted to have it have the date but i didn't want to have it be like you know february 27 2007 i didn't want to have some of that so what i did was again nerded out hardcore I took my name, my last name, and made it into an element off the periodic table. And so I had the little periodic table square and my element was morbium. Mm. And then uh, the top, you know, it's like the atomic weight and then the other number, it's the atomic weight. And then there's, the, there's like another, there's two numbers on top yeah, of yeah, the yeah, element. Yeah. And so that was the date of it February 27 and then the bottom was the number of how old I was when I threw the party 34 
Okay. So that was my way of like documenting when the time and space and place was. So yeah, I like. I'm gonna like just be urged to to figure out what year that was and then do the math about how old how old you it's 2007. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't fight the urge. <laughs> All right. Well, I look, it's, I look good for 47. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> you know, you look great. You. That's why I couldn't tell how old you were. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the ring <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh the ring light that's right you thank you the ring light you're gonna kill everyone you look great by the way and uh did you you, you your background makes me think of did you know that like they, they just recently reported that a bunch of like there's a a company that for some reason outfits libraries for people right but then they they just developed a package for people's zoom calls and for like, so that like, you don't have to actually buy your own books to look smart in the <laughs> background, like the talking heads that do TV shows for like those people and shit. It's hilarious. Like the, the, the level, like, you know, you can buy a set of books that makes you look intellectual and just throw them in the back. I know I can tell that like by, but by, by just by the way that like some of the books are leaning and stuff like that, that that's an actual real, real library real. books are missing and like, you know, <laughs> but the idea they're all real books. Yeah. They're not like glued together. <laughs> what, what kills me is that these are people that have like fancy educations, right? And like, they could just collect books. So it's like, uh, it's an affectation of their class. It's just crazy. Anyway, that shit is just funny. No, I did. Yeah. Well, I was, I was struggling because I really, I love having this massive bookshop. So I'm proud of all the books yeah. that I've read and I, yeah. and it's very basic source material for me now yeah. more than ever. Um, but you know, they always say like on a zoom call, like you really want to have like a neutral background. So it's not, you know, distracting. And I was like, I'm an artist. I'm all about distraction. I'm all about <laughs> entertaining. I want people to be like, wait, zoom in. What is that? Is that is that Yoko Ono's grapefruit? Awesome. I love that book. What else she got there? Let's look. Let's look. <laughs> so um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely was like, well, I'm going to have a bookshelf. That's, that's no, cool. I like it. I like it. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it works great for, for this. Uh, I'm actually kind of disappointed in mine because I, to, I, this is, I'm actually recording this in between a trip to Home Depot and I'm building like uh, a little like setup for out of two by fours. And so I, I, I started like cutting with a, a circular saw and all of that. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm covered in fucking sawdust and I have to like take a shower before I tape this thing. So <laughs> then I took the shower and then I was like, when we started, I was like, Oh my God. You know that the wait after like you take a hot shower and you're just like, Oh my God, I got to stay up at like, yeah. for, like for just right before we started recording. So I was a little bit relieved that you were, <laughs> that it took you a second to get set up. Cause I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I could take a nap, I but could, I got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this is, but it, it worked out perfect. I'm like, I guess what it means is that I'm just getting used to like doing this as part of my life now where I don't need like preparation. Besides I cheat and I have other people come up with the topic. So <laughs> all I have to do is, is be the engineer and the host. So <laughs> it's so what was, what was your thesis originally? What was your personal uh, thesis? Oh, my, uh, my, I guess my thesis is that I don't know shit and I can always learn more essentially, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, like, like, 
I, well, all right. So here's one of the things that going back to the, like one of the things that since I do this thing where I'm speaking publicly, I try to only talk about things that I know about. So for example, with the whole Capitol Hill thing, I don't really know the fucking details. So I don't talk about it. Right. To some degree, you know, like with a caveat of, of people understanding that I, I don't necessarily think it's the worst thing for people to protest in the Capitol. I don't know why that's so sacred. I do think that like they were let in <laughs> and shit like that. But like, but I don't really know, you know, like I don't really know enough about what's going on with QAnon and all of that to really know like how much planning went into it. So I stay away from it ultimately. Like conceptually, like I would, not have a problem with Black Lives Matter going into the Capitol and protesting, right? So on that level, without having any of the specific details of how many people died, because I know people died and who died for what reasons and shit, but I did hear, for example, that the woman that died believing in QAnon had also voted for Obama, which is fucking crazy, you know, <laughs> because that, that, that like, that, addresses like assumptions that are, I'm hearing people throw around. So there's a great, there's a wonderful podcast about how people like someone who could have voted for Obama found themselves following QAnon and made it to the Capitol yeah. and breached the Capitol. So it's called um, The Rabbit Hole by New York Times. Oh, okay. And it's incredible because basically the premise of this podcast is talking about how algorithms push people yeah. into topics that they normally would not have considered. And yeah, but, then, so they, but then, so then that only goes to like the point of like, so the algorithm is radicalizing people, but we're blaming other people for it, right? Like- No, the, the algorithm is not, it, it's more nuanced than that. Basically what they were saying was, is when YouTube first started, you know, it had very little content. So it was like the same 20 videos. And it was like, mm -hmm. oh God, we gotta get like things. We gotta people, we gotta get more content. We gotta get more people to see other things. So they started writing the algorithm where it was like, oh, you saw this documentary on bonobo behavior. Maybe you would like this one on flamingos, but then maybe you watch the one with flamingos and now it seems like you're really interested in Africa. Well, maybe you wanna, you know, look about the politics. Do you like, do you know about the diamond mines? Do you know about this? So mm -hmm. it was like a very, it's like a very subtle daisy chain event of following sort of how your curiosity gets piqued on different subjects. And so the podcast follows this guy's two year viewing history on YouTube and how mm -hmm. he went from being a pretty mild guy who wasn't that interested in politics to like really thinking that QAnon had something to say yeah. and really sort of do this autopsy of sort of how things get nudged. But that doesn't, that, that, that can't like, what I'm saying is what my concern is with people just being banished, you know, like for example, I definitely think that it, okay. I definitely think it's a problem for somebody to be inciting violence, but at the same time, like, I do not think it's as simple as just 
being like, oh yeah, we just banned this person for like, I, there are courts, right? We have a, an infrastructure to handle these things. And for just Mark Zuckerberg and random people at, at uh, what's it called, at Facebook to be, you know, like, for example, I don't exactly know why they, they banned Ron Paul all of a sudden, but my problem with that is that there is no oversight and there's no accountability. And I promise you, without question, they're going to be doing that to people on the left too, right? It's got uh, all, all the things. All of the things that people are concerned, like there's this, there's this overreaction, right? I think that like people on the left look at fascism and they think of that as the only example of totalitarianism and authoritarianism, but censorship is not a left or right thing. Censorship is always authoritarian, right? So I, I think that it always comes with good intentions of like, let's censor that because that is evil or that is bad, right? But then eventually you're getting censored when you're actually speaking up against George Floyd being killed and things like that. So for me, I, I try to be very careful with actually what, what happened in the details of that. But my serious, like the thing that I feel comfortable is just like outright censorship is always a problem. On Like if this dude is inciting violence, prosecute him. That's it. It's as simple as that, right? Like you, you know, or maybe there should be a court system that decides, like due process to deciding whether to censorship somebody. You know, like I'm not saying don't censor the motherfucker. I'm just saying don't let Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and all these motherfuckers be the ones doing it. Because to me, that's terrifying. That's like rich motherfuckers that don't necessarily have the benefit of people in mind, right? doing something that is going to be applauded heroic now, but like in down the line, <laughs> it's going to be fucking Orwellian as shit. Right. Or it, do, am I, do, do you think that I'm like out of, uh, out of place here? Or? I, I mean, I think it is a, it is an absolutely fascinating question to, to keep asking and to keep yeah. examining, examining, uh, because yes, there's always, you always risk if you shut down one thing, then other people are going to get shut down, whatever topic it is. Um, I think with, with what you see with what was being shut down on Twitter and with Facebook, it was about trying to stop disinformation because of what it leads people to do. That if you keep telling people that meteorites are coming, and you better get, you, you got to get ready for the meteorite. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, you know, people will react to that. And, you know. But then you could ban, but then you could ban the entire establishment media because that's all they do, well, right? Well, I, so, I think it speaks, it speaks more to what we've really stumbled into in the last 15, 20 years, which is media news which is different than media. News used to be fact-based, researched. Not really. Uh, there's, 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 al always this, there's, there's always an angle. There's not, there's, there's not without oh, angle. See, not without angle. angle. has definitely been infiltrating media for like ever. They, you oh, know, that's it's, always, it's, always, yeah. it's always someone's angle. I'm not saying it is free of that. I'm not saying it's yeah. free of that. But I think in the last five years specifically, we have really seen the advent and the power of 
misinformation or but you can say, or wait, let me finish. Let me finish. Sorry. Or what I would say more specifically, the resurgence and the more sophisticated development of propaganda. You know, there's but you a great but you don't, but 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 here's my issue. Because it seems like what we're both agreeing on is that social media is the issue, right? With the social media is the problem. And that's fine. I, I, I agree that there's this is a new unprecedented way of spreading misinformation, right? But first of all, like, I just kind of feel like, um, why does Facebook have all these protections? They are obviously deciding whether, like at this point, they are acting as a publisher. So here's my solution to the problem. Instead of censoring the president, and focusing all that power into these uh, uh, people that run these institutions, why don't we allow people to sue Facebook? Because we know that suing doesn't work. What do you mean that suing doesn't work? I mean, if you're trying to get, so you're gonna sue Facebook for what exactly? Like for, for what? For... For, for being responsible for the spread of misinformation. And, and so what, they're gonna pay a fine? They're gonna. I'm just being devil's advocate. Like, what? No, is the there. No, I understand. I, I understand. But I'm saying, like, okay, that at least goes through the court system. There is at least oversight on that. And Facebook is a is 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 an organization. I think that if people were able to uh, to sue Facebook, Facebook just wouldn't exist as a, as huge as a corporation. It would be broken up. So I think that the 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 twenty thirty protection. I actually think Trump is kind of right on that. Like I know that he he comes from a bad place because he wants the ability to be able to sue people, but I do think that it's problematic when you let oligarchs be the ones who decide and who like yo. I know that there's like, and and dude, I'm a leftist. I am not coming at this from a rightist point of view. I am concerned that the that people to the right of me are pro-authoritarianism, right? Are pro-censorship. And and like, it comes from that cancel culture mentality. I just don't think that that is, I, I just think that that's a problem. I think that, I think that it's never, like once you allow that shit to happen, I think that once they did it to, to uh, Alex Jones, which I get, but like, I've never actually seen a clip of Alex Jones telling people to go harass people. Like I've just hit, send, said him like say paranoid conspiratorial shit and like- Well, here's, here's an example. I'm gonna bring it back to analog, okay? okay. Um, so we are a puritanical historical culture based yeah. in puritanical values. So we all know that sex makes babies. It's a mm -hmm. biological fact. There's no other way to make a baby. You have sex, sperm, egg, baby. And yet we really have put the kibosh on sex ed in education. Mm -hmm. It is the one thing that everyone is gonna participate in more or less. And it is the thing that is almost guarded the most in public and private schools. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is like the most egregious censorship. Mm -hmm. And they think that having just abstinence or not telling teenagers that they're somehow not going to figure out to have sex is ridiculous. And we've seen it time and again, more education, less babies. So 
by having this whole abstinence campaign, that's misinformation. That is not solving the problem. And so, yes, that is another way of, so I'm saying that censorship is, is that, really dangerous. It is but dangerous. That's, censor, that's censorship. And then how would you censor that censorship? And would that be just? Well, like, no, here, what, okay. what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is it, what, it's very difficult. We are, we are in a place where we, for, with the example of sex education, it is the utter denial of the basic facts that they're trying to censor. And that is really, that's, that's dangerous because of all the ramifications that happen. Um, but when you start having people, you know, have this very I think ed aspect of what they're reporting on or what they're talking about of like, well, I really believe that spaghetti monsters exist and that's my religion and that's my church and I want tax exemption because that's what I believe. It's like, great, you can believe that. Great. Okay. Like you do the paperwork. Awesome. But I think, you know, it is a constant and important conversation to keep having this rigorous interrogation of what is censorship, who has the right to censor people, or who has the right to free people's ideas. So let's talk about Julian Assange real quick. Mm. Okay. We have a media that is, and a government that is full of former CIA, full of people that used to work in the CIA. This is a new turn. This is something that is, is, didn't happen in the seventies. In the seventies, what they would do is they would have an the CIA would have an informant in some other in some random country report something, and then they would have local media, American media, use that source as a source for their story, right? And that's how they would plant stories in the media. Now they just go straight to the actual people that do the media. Okay, so we have a society where espionage is part of the propagandistic process, and then we have a dude who exposes that. And I agree with you, misinformation is always a problem. There's a lot of misinformation about uh, Julian Assange. First things first, Julian Assange has never had, like WikiLeaks has never had to retract the story, ever. They've been 100% correct, right? So yep. they're trying to censor him by making him a spy. I am saying that in both cases, censorship is wrong. In in Agreed. both cases, in both cases, in the case of Julian Assange and in the case of Donald Trump, because even if I don't know about that, yes, because look, because because if you don't censor that, if you if, if you actually prepare the way that you prepare for this, for, for if they put Capitol Police, they didn't. They, this is this is a thing where people were allowed to go into the fucking Capitol to get everybody worked up in a fervor. If you saw during Black Lives Matter how many people they had at the Capitol protecting it, and people knew this shit was coming. There have been you know, conspiracy theories about this thing forever, and the Capitol Police was just letting people in. So for me, I think that there are many ways of disseminating disinformation, and there, are, there, are, there is a concerted effort. There is always, you know, like these companies, like Facebook, they don't give a fuck about human rights. They work with with uh, with China. That you know, they share data with China with, with a bunch of Chinese companies. Like, I think that the 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 um, if you want to prosecute 
him for his crimes, you can. And that's perfectly reasonable. If you, I, I get a little t worried though, because people are throwing the, the word, the term ter terrorism around. Like it's like, oh yeah, these people are terrorists. Terrorists because of the left, right? Our left, uh, Barack Obama, anybody that's classified a terrorist has no due process, has no rights. So for me, there's freedom, right? There's like, this is freedom. And even when you take away uh, Donald Trump's freedoms, you're taking away freedoms from the world constantly, constantly, because you set a precedent. And now you could be accused of inciting violence, right? For saying maybe something that is adjacent. Maybe you say something and, so, and, and, you, and someone ends up, it starts a protest, right? Are you responsible for the protest just because you said, hey, fuck this the government, they're full of shit. Like, you know, I hate Nancy Pelosi, people protest Nancy Pelosi. Now, am I inciting violence? I think what's what's unique about, for example, to be like to look at a concrete example of having um, Donald Trump's Twitter account suspended. Mm -hmm. To me, what that says is, because he's the president of the United States, he is not the same as an average citizen. That's even more terrifying so, to me, though. No, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah. yeah. So we as a culture look to the chief and we we have anointed him or soon her whenever that may be um a certain set of values that are above the average citizen we give their words more gravitas than the average joe mm -hmm. whether that's right or wrong is irrelevant that's just what happens because the hierarchy is built that way this is the person at the very top so obviously they are imbued with a lot of street cred, whether it's good or not. What makes it dangerous to have someone in that position talk about whatever he wants, whenever he wants, about whatever is happening, makes it far more dangerous because we can prove that he has been saying things that are categorically incorrect saying that he is correct, acting like he has been ordained by God, acting like a king, when our whole government and democracy was about getting away from having someone who was anointed by God. That's why we left England. We were like, we don't want that. We want to have it organized. We want to have it by the people, for the people. So we don't treat this person like a king. And for me, he was acting and being treated like a king, like he was God-given. And I'm like, that's not safe. That's not I safe. I, d I disagree with that. I mean, respectfully, obviously. I, uh, and, no, no, and, and, I, and I think that, I, like, like, I get very worried because, like I said, we have, you, you know, there are already limits on free speech. You can prosecute someone in a court of law for violating the limit, the lim you know, that limitation. If he yelled fire in a crowded theater, we could actually take his words and take the actions and present them in a court as fucked up as our court system is, at least there would be some due process. And to me, the concern is that we have now somebody whose power usurps the power of our three branches. 
because now they can censor simply, they can just outright censor a president, Ron Paul, a bunch of people, right? That, and, and, and look, even AOC said some problematic shit. She was like, we should get rid of all these people that were part of this. Like, yo, motherfuckers didn't know what was coming. They, they, you know, so there were probably people that were just trying to hedge their bets the way that politicians do, right? For me, like, the, if you spend a whole four years of a dude's presidency saying that he's not valid, saying that he's not voted, saying that Russians interfered, saying all this shit. And in the end, you can't prove it. Like you're kind of fucking asking for people to question. You started this idea that the election results were not valid. This is not a new idea. This has been going on since 2016. People have been questioning the integrity of our election system. So to introduce- oh, before, before 2016. No, before but I'm saying, but I'm saying, so, so this is an inevitable, this is, this was an inevitability that someone would do this shit. And, and so like, what I am upset about is, first of all, like, okay, yeah, the most basic bitch thing that anybody pointed out was the fact that, uh, that what's it called, that the cops were much nicer to the, 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 the people in there and the cops, like, that is the fucking point. The point is that the only shit that really matters is when the powerful are under threat. That's why this is so sacred, right? It was the politicians who had the power to legislate a response that were under threat here. And that's the only reason that, that it matters. It's the same shit why Watergate mattered. The only reason that Watergate mattered was because it was Republicans against Democrats, powerful people against each other. When it's other people anywhere else, they don't give a fuck. If they had, if they had stormed a hospital and tried to protest the hospital for COVID reasons, these motherfuckers wouldn't be facing these penalties. The only reason is because they stormed the power source and they have the power to legislate against this shit. So those are two separate things, right? Like the censorship conversation, right? So why don't they use their legislative power to impeach him instead of fucking censorship? I, I, I don't understand why censorship has to be a part of the equation. I think that with the example of Twitter, it's a private company. That's worse for me. But that's the point. It's a private company. They can do whatever they want. They, because it is their platform, they own the platform. I so, un- they, so and but the thing is, we've all agreed, like if you're on Twitter, you've agreed to the terms and conditions. But they're not, not applying. They're not applying the terms and consistent. Because if you look at the actual tweets, doesn't that matter. He, Does, it's they're theirs. not applying them. No, but they're not. But they're. But I get what you're saying. But then that is a problem, right? Because what was the one thing that Mussolini was known for? What was the one thing that the Germans were known for? They were a secularist society, right? Everybody on the left is always like, "Oh, we need secularism. We need secularism." And and it's all these religious people that all they do is it, they're the ones that are responsible for all the wars, like. They were corporatists. They were pro-corporation. They were pro getting the power into private companies because for the same reason that it's happening now. So when like, so there's like something intrinsically fascistic about that argument about saying they're a private company, like that's a fucking problem. And they don't have to be, they, they can be held accountable. They can be broken up. They're getting sued right now by the DOJ. So hopefully something's gonna come of that. But anyway, I really enjoy this conversation. And I, and I, and I think that 
we probably won't agree on it fully, so that's perfectly fine. But that's and, wonderful. But that's yeah, what's no, so no, fascinating. I, that's and, what's and that, really and that's that's totally allowed on this podcast, you know. And I'm not, and I'm definitely not right. I, I definitely want to make it clear. I have a point of view. I don't think I'm right. My point of view may change some somewhere down the line. I may read something that changes my mind. However, I I do feel strongly about this, and 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 I and and I and I understand. The, the notion of like, I, I, I understand the impulse and I have sympathy for it, but I think it's a dangerous impulse. And I think it's, a, it's an impulse that is, that is going to, it's already doing it. It's already causing problems because the Young Turks is already getting censored, which is like not a, a progressive channel that I'm a huge fan of. But if the Young Fucking Turks, which are like, um, I know mayonnaise. what it is. I've seen it. No, yeah. but I'm saying they're fucking mayonnaise and they're getting censored on Facebook. Like, that is a fucking problem. So this oh, is just I mean, a continuation of, of something. So like, this is the big fish. This is the big opportunity because now they get cheered on for doing it. And then otherwise, you know, so like, sorry, sorry if I sound no, no. angry. I'm not angry no, no. at you. I'm angry. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, I really appreciate it because. It and I appreciate a, you talking to me about this. It's, it's, a, it's such an important conversation. And I want to circle it back to art. Mm -hmm. and give you a great example which was we had an exhibition in our um gallery not our student gallery but our gallery gallery McBean gallery at sfai back in i don't know the mid-aughts when oakley and wazar was the dean and we were able to have access to amazing artists really rock star artists to have shows I'm terrible with names. I'm just gonna have to describe it and people can Google this guy. This guy created a video where he really wanted to, the point of the video was to show how in other countries, this is how they humanely slaughter animals. So it was a video of a slaughterhouse in Mexico where they would first hit the animal on the head with a sledgehammer and then kill it. That was, that was their way. And that was the video. And so people went in, they saw it, they freaked out. They called PETA, they shut it down. There were death threats on the school, death threats on our president. It was absolute pandemonium. It was in the Chronicle. You can read all about it. People were losing oh, their shit. Um, so Oakley and the curator at the time decided to have an all school meeting about it. And they were like, we want to talk about it because people are having big feelings about it. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. So the student body was really polarized because there was a lot of people who were like, this is animal cruelty. How can you celebrate this? This is terrible. Like, who do you think you are? Like bringing this terrible violence into our school. And Oakley basically said, listen, um, we are here as stewards of the creative practice and we are here to protect it. You don't have to agree with everything that you see, but we're here to defend it with yeah. our lives right now. And you should be so lucky that someone should get so upset about your work, whatever it is that you're saying, and we are here to protect it. Mm -hmm. And it can get this hard. It can get this tense. It can get this scary. But we as a school are taking a stand and it's closed to the general public. But any student who wants to go in and see this show, we will open it up to you because mm -hmm. we're here about ideas and we're here to talk about it. 
and we're here to disagree and we're here to have discourse and we're here to ask better questions not to seek answers but ask better questions and i think that's what's been so exciting talking with you today is that you know especially when you have now, there's nothing worse than being in an echo chamber with your friends. We're like, yeah. oh, yeah, political this. We're all agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's boring as shit because you're not going to learn anything. You, you don't learn without a little friction. And so it's really exciting to get into a topic where we're not completely congruent because you're bringing ideas to me and I'm bringing them back. Yeah. And we're able to tease it more and more and more. And I think that is a really valuable art form that is lost in america because we don't like to disagree no definitely we don't have, we, like americans have lost the idea of what is discourse versus an argument we're having a discourse we're not having an argument it's not personal that we feel personal here's my dog <laughs> I, I, know. I know i've been gone for two hours <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the, but i the, think it's important to my, have that. my final thought on it is just like to some degree you need to you have a right to be wrong too you know absolutely you have, you have a right to believe in things that are wrong right because if we start telling people what's right then we start banishing religions and shit like that right so so to some degree it's like what level of wrong is okay right is it okay to to like continue to print propaganda in the new york times for a war that we've been in for 19 years is that inciting violence because i'm okay with censoring that you know <laughs> those arguments for war but that's not what's going to happen the reality is that is that there's no benevolent censorship on on, a, on an ideal plane i would be totally for it but who's to say that i didn't say something today that some motherfucker is going to misinterpret and then go out. And I think about these things, right? Oh, because best believe, best believe people are going to misunderstand you. Like, misunderstand that's me. Guaranteed. Okay. That's okay. Guaranteed. So then someone's going to misunderstand me and argue with me, right? What if somebody misunderstood me and did something violent? Am I responsible for that? My intention was never to do that. I know the situation with Donald Trump is a little bit different, right? But we had the resources to stop that in, in, invasion. Why did, why did, was it all his? Nobody had any fucking, there, there was like nobody in the FBI, nobody in the Secret Service, nobody in the CIA that was like, mm, maybe, you know, the Capitol is not run by the president as far as I understand it, right? It has its own fucking like <coughs> security force. I don't think that he's necessarily like, where was, is the problem that they were underestimating a white mob? Is the problem oh, that- Oh, it's so much more, it's so much more, but I mean, that's a whole other- Was it intentionally, whole... was it intentionally not well guarded? So like, so, okay, so then, all right, like all these little things I think are also relevant in terms of this discussion, right? Like, because everybody was so outraged that these motherfuckers were taking selfies. That's a problem, let's talk about the police there. Why is the pro is the police more likely like to let them in in that situation and be along with them? What is isn't that an argument for defund the fucking police? <laughs> right. Well, isn't it just another example of systemic racism? Like in the end. But 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 it's it it, it because shows if black lives, because you know if Black Lives Matter had tried yeah. to do something like that, you know it would have been like Fort Knox. 
Exactly. No, no, it was when they were protesting. It what hundred percent? There's yeah, pictures of it. Matter was protesting. Absolutely, people there thought there like, pictures. Have war. I've seen it. I've seen it. And you have so so. At what point does it? Is it like he incited it, or it was allowed to happen for the fucking theater of it? How, like you know, I mean, is it conspiratorial to ask that question? I don't think so. I don't think that that's like a fucking. It's important to ask all questions. It is important to ask all questions and to remain vigilant and keep asking questions and keep exploring ideas and information when it comes to light. And we're still, I mean, New York Times in real time, it keeps refreshing their page about latest things that, you know, are coming about what was happening in the Capitol. What New York was, Times what is was problematic as fuck. It's probably, <laughs> of course. It's, well, New so York is Fox News. So, you know. No, but New York Times is like, it, it is 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 pro every war so that's something that people i want people to think about when they read that shit you know absolutely and so so their it's outrage their outrage so here's the thing their outrage over this right-wing coup is nothing like their support for every other right-wing coup right so when like when we're supporting coups and then all of a sudden and, and it's like oh they're good in latin america but then we come over here and this is a fight against democracy you're acknowledging that you're overturning democracy when you fight a coup right so we're not spreading democracy we're well, actually we're importing coups i mean there's you know a coup in south america is different than a coup in the united states for sure well, for no, sure. but I'm just saying, but I'm saying New York, the New York Times is always for the coups. And now they're ang against this one. <laughs> Why? They're all, the, all the coups are right wing. Juan Guaido is right wing. Everything is to destabilize a left wing government, right? And not an authoritarian. No, not, every not every coup. You got to look at Argentina. Latin America. In Argentina. Which one? Arge which coup? It's hard which to say. How many, how many coups happened in the 70s? <laughs> it was hard to say because it was like dictator coup, coup dictator, you know, everybody's getting disappeared. You don't know if it's the guerrillas or the government. Both were taking people off the street. Contemporary coups right now. In the last, the, 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 what happened, in, what's, what, what happened in, uh, in Honduras, where they're turning it into an open air prison, that's a right wing coup. What happened to Evo Morales? That's a right wing coup. What happened to uh, to Lula in Brazil? That's a right wing coup. All of these things are right wing coups, and they're done under the guy. You, you know, so so like, and 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 the New York Times is always for them. The New York Times is for the coup. In fact, the New York Times ha had to publish uh, Max Blumenthal and didn't even give him credit when they acknowledged that it was Guaido's forces that set the fucking uh, shit on fire. So like, so uh, all I'm saying is that like, that's the other problem that I have with it. Who controls what the truth is? Because the truth tellers are not always telling the truth, right? Oh, I mean, the truth is relative. The truth is written by the winners. Truth is written by the people with power, you know, and that's what, you know, made- but we and said that's what, made, and that's what made that's what made Twitter so interesting because it yeah. became this unilateral stage where anyone of any power with an opinion 
could take it in 140 characters and say whatever the fuck they wanted to say in real time and it was disseminated and that's 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 an incredible power but but that started with fox news that and, and then msnbc went into that and and cnn they, what's our, they, what's our, i'm sorry wait so are you familiar with do you know who matt taibbi is he's the, he's a writer for the rolling for rolling stones he has a podcast yes. with uh, katie helper so he wrote a book called hate inc which is uh a, a, an updating he considers it of uh what's it called what's his name uh chomsky's manufacturing consent and instead of it being manufacturing consent now what it is is that echo chamber that you were talking about right the echo chamber where people go to fox news and they watch the same thing and 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 they, their their beliefs are reinforced it's all it's not facts it's select it's editing of facts to fit a narrative right and and then you have places so like fox news and the wall street journal would probably be a, a little bit more to the right right because that's who uh, bill clinton was trying to appease but then you have uh msnbc and the new york times which are kind of like liberal mags but they're also pro-war they're like war hawkish as fuck they're pro-coup they're pro because what they serve is the international financial system right the global financial system that like every piece of every valuable resource uh, needs to be a part of. And so if a government in Brazil is, or in Bolivia is not trying to give away the fucking uh, um, lithium so that, uh, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk can build his batteries, then we're gonna fucking coup them. Like he said on Twitter, he's like, we'll coup whoever the fuck we want. So I think that like, we do say shit like history is written by the winners, but we never fucking acknowledge that we believe a lot of our own bullshit because of that, right? Like, oh yeah, we don't. Yeah. I mean, we we absolutely do, and that's the other thing is that we don't have, you know, we get into our groove. It's like either you know you're really, so it's it's difficult to find individuals who really try to comparison shop knowledge, yeah. who are reading many things. So when someone's like, oh, where do you get your news? I'm like, okay, well, I start with the New York Times because it's basic, because that's just, it's a familiar place to start. But then I read The Economist. Then I read The Wall Street Journal. Then I read The Guardian UK. Then, you know, I'm trying to get, you know, I'm trying to get lots of different things because I'm trying to aggregate yeah. lots of different sources to... because, you know, you're, you're lazy if you're only reading one magazine or one, or one, you know, watching one TV show. It's like, You've I tend to, to I tend to read um, more journalists, specific people than than uh, what's it called than than actual news. Like I think of like okay, I, I'll I'll read some uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald, I'll read some Matt Taibbi, and I'll, I, like because I feel like I have they have a little bit less of an imperialist view of the world and are actually going to discuss things outside like for example uh max blumenthal is constantly in venezuela and uh you know i think matt taibbi is maybe a little bit more more of an establishment figure but like uh what's his name glenn greenwald started the intercept and just left because they were trying to censor his article on on, on joe biden on his criticisms right so it's all these institutions like there's it's like the same thing as colleges they're all they're they're not they're not noble by nature 
right? They, they and we live in an era where they don't make money off classifieds, so they can't just print whatever the fuck they want. They are actually beholden to corporate powers in a way that they, you know, because Craigslist came along and became the internet classifieds, and now people stop posting shit in the in the newspapers. So, mm-hmm. so for me, I mean, I, 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 the, I, I'm happy to acknowledge that just based on that disclosure, like there is a possibility that I'm also kind of creating a bubble if I'm not reading Barry Weiss, although Barry Weiss would be a fucking waste of time to read, right? You get what I'm saying? Like, there are people that I, can just, that I can just be like, I don't need to read this motherfucker because I always, always know his take. Whereas like someone like Glenn Greenwald, I won't always agree, but at least I know he's being thoughtful and intellectually honest. If uh, That's the thing. If I find somebody that's intellectually honest, I can rely on them because I know where I agree with them and I don't. And I can and I can see where their take is, sort of mm-hmm. like reading a, a movie reviewer, you know, like where you look like sure, you know what kind like, of movies they like. Of course, I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's like we, I think it's important just to remain open and to continue to ask questions and to continue to push your comfort zone of what sources you think are credible and go a little bit beyond what your yeah. normal fodder is because we have to as liberals we you know we all we, we can exist in an echo chamber so easily we can all just get so self-satisfied well, the, the media is designed for that the algorithms designed for that times and be like i know everything i listen to npr i'm super smart and everyone else is an idiot and it's like well that's really that's really disturbing you yeah. gotta like you gotta sample from all the places because even if you disagree because i do I do think it's important to watch Fox News at times because I need to understand how people are coming to their conclusions. Tucker like, Carlson oh. is right twice a day sometimes, like a broken clock I'm, is the joke I'm making. I don't actually yeah. think he's right twice. A, no, but of course. But look, Tucker Carlson is definitely a fucking bigot and all of that, but he's actually a populist too, right? Like he 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 talks about people from an economic standpoint that I think I would like to see more of the right talk from because he's not necessarily always pro corporate, even though he is a corporate shill. Like it's not uh, like, I think he is for, he came down for stimulus checks, you know, and he, and then the, the, here's the thing, here's something, here's the little secret that like people don't realize about MSNBC and CNN, Fox news, which is why I agree with you about Fox news. Fox news will have people from the left from like leftists, not neoliberals, like actual leftists that, you know, support Venezuela and, and, and are anti-coup people like they'll have those people on the, on the network. Fox news, uh, MSNBC never does. MSNBC only has like, because if they did their follow their viewership would get angry <laughs> because it would, it would be like, they would be criticizing they're heroes from the left, and there's nothing somebody a neoliberal, something a neoliberal hates more than a Republican, like than somebody who is on the left, farther to the left of them, because they think that they're like purists or pipe dreams, and it makes them feel like they're shady and corrupt. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, it's you know that's the thing is that you know as artists, I think one of our, one of our best assets is to call into question ideas yeah. through what we do. And, you know, not that I'm saying everyone needs to make didactic work. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but I no. am saying that. Because I definitely don't. <laughs> I definitely, please don't, please don't. 
But I do think that, you know, art is a really great place to safely explore different ideas and to consider different ways that people are thinking. And it's a good way to, if you're not comfortable watching Fox News, there, there are plenty of conservative you know, topics explored in art that you can, that you can familiarize yourself because, you know, we, as artists, we all have agendas. We all have messages we want to send out into the world, whether it be, you know, through propagandic posters or, you know, hidden messages in our paintings or whatever it is, we all are trying to communicate our opinion, what our, what our validation of life is or what we want to question. And the idea of, of the continual question of like, is this right? is this truth? Does this matter? How does this affect me? If we stop him from speaking or her from speaking, then when will they tell me to shut up? These are all extremely valuable conversations that we need to continually have because I think people get really complacent. They're like, oh, the powers that be, they know what's going on. It's fine. We're going to be just fine. And it's like, no. That's how we got Trump. We let Obama be a fucking militarist asshole. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped pushing Obama. He he fucking live. He he invaded Libya. It, it it's a whole thing. It, it like the foreign policy that we're gonna go back to right now is upsetting because everybody on the left is like, oh, human rights, human rights. Yeah, like what about the people we're droning? <laughs> They're brown too, <laughs> you know. So anyway, we could keep going. We're at, we're at two hours. This is the longest episode I've done in a long time. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. I, it was lovely talking to you and having a, a, a healthy discussion about uh, different points of views. Uh, I'd love to have you back on at any time. Uh, and I didn't Absolutely. know that we were going to end there. Like I was not even feeling politically angry today, I, but I'm glad that we we went there. All right. <laughs> I am too. I think it's so important because I don't think that we we get to have that com conversation nearly enough. And it's so yeah. important. And it is important also to have the example of two people agreeing to disagree and yeah. continually going, but this is my point and this is your point and this is your point and tease this out and explain this and do that. I don't think Americans are very good at that. I think we get very uncomfortable when someone says, I disagree with you, they think those are fighting words. And I hope that if, if there's one thing that people could take out of this podcast is get comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and being able to trust, create that trust space. Yeah. Because it's important well, I, to understand other people's opinions. I think that there's a lot of people that agree a lot more than they realize. And I think that it's because the way that we've been sort of like the, the, you know, if, if people, if the discussion in this country was about class instead of about race and, uh, and gender and all of those things that like maybe trigger people, like if the argument was like, instead of like, uh, you know, I mean, I understand why people say things like we need to focus on helping trans women, but what about like it, but it, it the way to do that, I think in, in, the broader scheme of things is to just come up with universal programs, right? That would help everybody. For example, universal health insurance, right? <laughs> and I think that slowly, like slowly, even though the major part of the discourse is about the things that we, you know, the focal, focal point is about that, like um, more and more people are starting to agree on that shit. Like, I think that a lot of Republicans are pro Medicare, like health insurance, Medicare for all, whatever the fuck you want to call it, even though it was being called socialist. So I think that like, I think that 
one of the things that is never really spoken about is like how rich, or, or at least in our artist community is that how, you know, to be somewhat successful in the arts, like I don't have anybody that's not at least been middle-class at some point in their life, because there is something to the practice of being an artist. Like I, it, to some degree, if I have a homeless artist on the podcast, it's a little exploitative, right? Because I'm not paying people here. So, but even within that, like if I have some racial diversity or if I have queer people on, I'm still only representing from a certain economic standpoint and up, right? Because because, and that's a reality of this show that like, I, I'm, I'm, I would love to like figure out a way to do it where it's not exploitative. Maybe when I have money to pay people, I can do it, but that's something to be aware of as well. Like constantly, like, you know, um, who, who are you, who's like, who do you talk to? Like, <laughs> what class are they in? Who's in government? What class are they in? Uh, AOC went in at one le class level and she's already got the potential to be at a super different one, right? And you don't, and you see her not fighting for Medicare for all anymore. So these are things that like, I think there, there are a lot more things in common with a bigot and a trans person in a lower economic, social economic class. Obviously, a white person that is going to have uh, privileges that the other that, that the trans person is not going to have. But let's just go with two white trans people, like two two white people, right there, to even it out a little bit, right? If they're in the same economic class and we do something to help that class, it helps both of them. And I don't think that the person that's getting helped on this side is going to be upset at the person getting helped on this side if they're getting their own fucking help. So I think a lot of the the MSNBC discourse, a lot of the like the Biden campaign is is very much about leaning into those things because they're not actually going to give us anything that is going to help people. Like they're not going to appeal to uh to our the, all they got is gay and we're not racist. <laughs> is we're pro gay and we're not racist because everything else they do is pro corporate. Like they the bipartisan shit that gets passed in this country is terrifying. <laughs> you should be scared when Republicans and, and, and Democrats agree. That's when it's terrifying. I mean, that is, that is absolutely true. No question. <laughs> it is, it is we, we do agree. We do agree. It's just oh, many things we agree on. We, 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 there's just a couple of things where that we can work out. I, you know, you know, and I, I, I don't, I, I think that like, if this conversation went on, we might we might realize that we haven't phrased it in the right in a way that we can necessarily fully agree, right? So so I totally so I want to acknowledge that too. But anyway, but I still but I still appreciate how refreshing it is to find someone who we aren't finishing each other's sentences. Yeah. In this discourse, you know, there's yeah. that so I'm so over that. <laughs> so I'm so over that. I'm so over that. I'm like I really I need a little I need a little I want to walk away from conversations being like i need to think about that yeah, yeah. i'm not quite sure i hmm, i need to like go back and reread some stuff or you know look at this article that you've recommended or follow this person on you know twitter or what have you i think those are really that's that's always a great thing to come out of any experience yeah. is oh i need to think about this more because i hadn't thought about that great cool 
because I'm going to go back to my echo chamber and it's going to be just a circle jerk. And that's so boring. So boring. I'm glad that the first woman to say circle jerk on my podcast, or first person to say circle jerk on my podcast was a woman. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I think we'll just right, leave we should, it right there. <laughs> we should stop. Yeah, we should stop at this point because at least now, now we're not even that disagreeing. <laughs> now we're now we agree on on how fun it is to disagree, and that's a good place to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right. It's not well, like Thanksgiving you. dinner at the family house. <laughs> it's very no, different. so much more fun. So much more fun. Well, I really look forward to coming back and talking with you. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah. so very much. Um, and I look forward to listening to your other podcasts and guests. So cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and I'm probably not going to listen to this again before I send it, put it out. So just to be warned. Uh, no, just, it's perfect like, it's the way it is. And I'm like, oh man, my schedule this week. It's coming out on Monday, so. <laughs> no, don't edit it. Just, it's all, it's all there. And it's hey, all- and, and comment, be nice. Comment in the YouTube comments. If you, if you enjoyed this conversation, you have some thoughts, fucking make a comment, leave a like, you know, uh, and, 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 and I'll try to respond to that. If you are a dick, I'm not, but. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, and yeah, also, would you, um, we also, I would really love it if we could plug Laura Onsell. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's, uh, do you have something you want to recap? We want to plug Laura Onsell. We want to plug Peter Max Lawrence. We want to plug Brian Stokel. We want to plug, um, I wouldn't have plugged them again, but you, but you're a very noble. But I think, but I think it's important because, (laughs) you know, when they're mentioned, they're mentioned and that's power. I just want everyone to get their just desserts and their shout outs. It's important. Um, please check out these artists. They're really, they're really incredible. Not just because they're my friends. And they both They're have great. episodes, so go listen to the episodes. Yes, exactly. Go and go. And I'm listen back to on board episodes. with plugging them because now I plug yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna go have some lunch. And, <laughs> and what, do, you, do you have anything to plug your uh, morbid well, yeah, so fascination have, yeah, at in morbid fascination? In Shelter Zoo on Instagram or in shelterzoo.com okay. is the website, and just. What animal are you? Make a mask out of whatever, take a selfie, and then send it to my website, and I will add you to my virtual zoo. Simple and it's egalitarian. It, you're, you're, you, you, no you animal submit. will be refused. No, yeah. You all have a shelter. You all have shelter in my zoo. And oh, we also have, we've just expanded to a botanical garden. So if you want to make a plant mask, hit me up. All We'd right. love to have you. <laughs> we have like two plants, so we need more plants. So if you feel like making a plant mask, that'd be awesome. So I appreciate it. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Ooh.